Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson. Karlsson, 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 the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by a guy who can't believe our luck in the scheduling of this interview about the New York Islanders. I am your temporary host, Elon Dubrovsky, and we've got a really fun show for you today because I'm going to be handing over the microphone to the great Ben Burnett from Short Shifts to talk to Arthur Staple all about the New York Islanders, literally the same day that they announced all of their free agent signings that we've been waiting for all summer long. So this is a great time to learn all about what the Islanders are going to look like next season. Ben talked to Arthur all about what the lines are going to be. Of course, the goaltending situation. It's a really fun show, so you're going to hear that in just a sec. Of course, first, let me mention that Keeping Carlson is proudly presented by DauberHockey.com, the number one fantasy hockey website in the world and the place that you've got to go ASAP to get their Dauber Hockey Guide. Dauber's got write-ups on all the teams, full projections, and it updates continuously all throughout the preseason, so you can keep re-downloading it as the new versions come out. So check that out at DauberHockey.com. Also, it's still not too late to sign up for the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. The sign-up deadline is September 13th, so time is starting to run out. So if you have any interest in joining the best fantasy league you're ever going to play in, uh, go to kakupfel.com, kkupfl.com, and register, and we'd love to have you. Start at the bottom, in the bottom tier, if this is your first season. Climb all your way up. Next thing you know, you're going to be in Tier 1, facing off against the best of the best, and try to claim the rightful position as the best fantasy hockey player in the whole world. So, okay, again, that's kakupfel.com. But with that, I am not going to babble any further. Let's just cut over to Ben's interview with Arthur Staple. Here it is. Welcome back to the Keeping Carlson 32 Beat Writer interview series. I am your host, once again, Ben Burnett from the Short Shift podcast, filling in for Brian and Elon. Joining me today, another beat writing superstar from The Athletic New York, Arthur Staple. Arthur, welcome to the show. It's good to be here, Ben. Thanks for having me. We are uh, big fans, of course. You know, Arthur uh, follows the Isles very closely. He is, I would say, a must-follow if you are interested in fantasy hockey and need the latest updates on the New York Islanders. And so, Arthur, uh, we talked about it a second ago. I, I was scrolling your timeline this morning. I noticed that a few days ago you had posted about uh, how nothing had gone down in Isle Land while you were on vacation. And... You know, honestly, hallelujah that we're chatting today because it is Wednesday, the 1st of September, as we record this, and GM Lou Lamorello has decided to announce all or most of the summer signings kind of all at once, which you did then break down in an excellent column today on The Athletic. So uh, to run through them quickly, the Isles are bringing back Casey Sezikis, Kyle Palmieri, Ilya Sorokin, Anthony Beauvillier, and according to your colleague at The Athletic, Michael Russo, Zach Parisi will also soon join the Islanders. I guess I'll start by asking, what's going on in New York that Lou waited so long to announce these (laughs) signings? That is the big mystery after people digested all the uh, all the signing announcements. And really, you know, if you if you are either an obsessive follower of uh, free agency as a hockey fan or uh, one of the people in my position, um, you tend to notice that there's rumors being dropped about this player has this many teams interested as we get close to free agency or even as after the market's open or they have this, they're mulling these men, these offers from these teams. And by process of elimination, you could sort of tell that, uh, in particular, the two, the two UFAs you mentioned, Palmieri and Sezikis, were clearly headed back to the Islanders because there was zero mention of either guy linked to another team. Um, so that's kind of, you, you, with Lou Lamarillo, sometimes you have to read between the lines as opposed to hearing gossip. And uh, that was kind of process of elimination with that. And I think the situation with Parise is pretty similar. He's a guy who would have had a lot of interest. Um, has obviously the obvious connection to Lou Lamarillo from his Jersey days. So um, that was kind of, you know, we were just waiting and waiting and waiting. I, I wasn't doing too much waiting myself being on vacation for most of August, but, uh, but it was nice that Lou waited until today, uh, me being back on the clock this week and we could digest it all. But um, 
I think the main thrust that I'd heard about why he waited so long was initially when they when the when free agency opened. Um, you know, the Islanders are are one of the teams that's pretty close to the cap. They made some moves to kind of shed some salary leading up to this free agency period, but mostly so they could sign a bunch of their own guys, either restricted free agents like Bovillier and Sorokin or the UFA pending pending UFAs. Um, and also they need to make some other maneuvers. They they traded Nick Letty before, you know, early in the offseason and and they do probably need another defenseman. And I think Lou was trying to keep his fellow GMs that he was dealing with in the dark about their cap situation so no one would would fleece him or or uh, try to dump too much salary on him. Um, but I guess as August went on and there was no trade to be made, he just maybe felt like it's okay to keep everything a secret. He doesn't, he's not a guy who likes to operate out in the open and doesn't speak too clear, you know, too freely about what he's doing. So if nobody's bothering him or nobody's interested, might as well wait. So he waited almost as long as he could. And that's really interesting. Um, just hearing the stories as you do as hockey fans about Lou and how, uh, nobody really uh, rumors don't come out from from the uh, from the aisles too often. But I've always wondered kind of and this isn't too fantasy relevant, but I, I just have to ask while I have you, I would assume that all general managers would want to sort of keep uh, contract details, these these leaks from coming out. How is it that Lou is able to be so successful at that? <laughs> I don't know if it's. Um hypnosis or some sort of <laughs> some sort of psychological hold that he has on people that don't work for him but he is very insistent from what i understand when either we're dealing with agents and we're talking established agents with millions and millions of dollars in contracts with all different teams or other general managers who have been around a long time no one's really been around as long as as long as him but plenty who are very established um and I don't, I wouldn't call it threatening. I don't think it goes to that level, but I think he's, he's very insistent that things stay quiet to the point where I think there's been some trade talks that he has said, if these leak out, this is over. Um, so maybe that is a threat, I don't know, but, uh, but he, you know, it, he's, he does his business the way he wants to do it. And I think he's been doing it long enough that a lot of people give him the utmost respect and the utmost leeway to do it the way that he sees fit. So, you know, for a person in my position who does have a lot of interaction with agents, uh, especially as we lead into free agency, especially when they have clients that they want to get the maximum value out of, whether it's from the Islanders or from other teams, uh, and are sometimes uh, very direct with their comments about how the Islanders should treat their clients when they have Serious talks with Lou, uh, I I am completely ghosted, and I've been doing this a long time myself. So it's it's an interesting situation to deal with, and and like you said, I'm sure most GMs would love to operate that way. Uh, the Islanders' previous GM Garth Snow is a was a good friend of Lou's, and and carried himself in a similar manner when it came to letting stuff out. But it's just uh, the master knows how to do it, and he's really the best at it. And I think a lot of other GMs try to do it and then maybe just kind of give up because of the, the focus on making sure nobody says a word takes a lot of uh, patience and effort and time. And maybe other people just don't have that sort of dedication. And so in your column today, you mentioned that you think Lou has some more moves to come. You mentioned Nick Letty and, and not not replacing him on that uh, on that defense in the top four. What moves do you see the Isles making between now and the regular season? Well, I think the deals that they already have done uh, are for, you know, one year deals for for a lot less uh, money than the, the deals they announced today. So, you know, you mentioned Zach Parise. Um you know, he's a, certainly a big name player, but he's going to be a one year deal for, you know, since he's an over 35 player, it's going to be mostly bonuses and very little cap hit. I think Travis Zajac, uh, who also came over in a deadline deal with Kyle Palmieri during the season, is another longtime Lou Lamarillo guy uh, from his Jersey days. So he might be back on a, a, a small one year deal to be a, an extra forward. Um but those are kind of, you know, and then there's a few restricted free agents. I think as far as new players, it really, to me, the focus is who is going to be fill that spot that Nick Letty had um, and played very well for seven years on the island. Um, you know, I, I imagine that 
Lou was hunting around for a trade, didn't find one he liked over the, the previous month or two. And is now, you know, the clock is ticking. Camp starts in three weeks. I imagine that if you're going to make a, a complicated trade, moving out some salary because they are already over the cap right now uh, and will need to go into long-term injured reserve to reset their cap once the season starts, it looks like. Um, but even at that, they don't really have a lot of room to add, uh, you know, a big ticket item. And uh, and Letty was, you know, was a very capable player. I'm sure fantasy uh, hockey fans who don't really flock to the Islanders because the team's numbers aren't very good know Nick Letty well. He was he led their team in assists last year. Uh, he gets a lot of power play time, uh, and they've got to you know fill that 19 or 20 minutes that he played pretty regularly for a long time. And they don't really have anybody currently in their pipeline to to step up that way. They, their left side of their defense is Adam Pellick, who's a terrific player and just signed an eight-year deal this offseason so they love him as a top pair defenseman but he's not an offensive guy and Andy Green they're bringing back at age 39 to be their third pair guy and on the left side that's really about it in terms of their depth so um, you have to think in these next three weeks or even a little bit into camp Lou is hunting high and low to find somebody to fill that role in the second pair on the left side and uh, you have to think they're not you know knowing Lou Lamarillo and knowing Barry Trotz uh, they're not just going to wing it and and see if a young kid can can jump up and, and earn that spot. They're going to want somebody established. So uh, I think we're not quite done seeing what mysteries the Islanders have in store for us. And so there's a lot to get to with all of these signings, a lot to unpack. Let's start in net where the Isles locked up Ilya Sorokin for three years at $4 million apiece. It's really hard not to compare this deal to the other Russian rookie goalies in the Metro. You know, Igor Shostyorkin signs a four-year deal worth just under $5.7 million to be the starter for the Rangers. And then Ilya Samsonov, who inked a one-year $2 million prove-it deal with Washington earlier this summer. I guess when I look at Sorokin's deal, I, I'm wondering what we can infer about how the Islanders will use him and Semyon Varlamov, who still has two years left on his deal. Yeah, it's a lot of money tied up in their goalies, but I think the 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 proof is in how they played last year together. Um, you know, obviously it, it's not a representative season. You know, being that the schedule was shortened and just uh, you know just in the in the makeshift division last year, um, but I think you saw pretty good flashes of what Ilya Sorokin has to offer. He had a bit of a shaky start, and I think there's some technical things in his game that still need improving but he is you know he was one of the two or three best goalies in the world not in the nhl for a long time playing over in russia uh you know and put up some very gaudy numbers in a league where where scoring is kind of at a premium but i think he was able to translate a lot of that game to the to north america and i think especially in that first round of the playoffs against pittsburgh where Semyon varlamov had a bit of a knee issue and sorokin ended up starting uh, the first game and then came back in when Varlamov, uh, you know, looked a little shaky in games two and three. And it was Sorokin who won, you know, who helped win them that series. He was really sharp. And I think, uh, you know, definitely coming over in some strange circumstances, you think about, even though he's a veteran at 25, he comes over before the bubble, uh, the 2020 playoff bubble can't play, uh, doesn't know much English, gets dropped in with a whole new group of guys in Toronto and Edmonton and is, you know, on the ice with the extras and taking in online English courses uh, in his off time and, and hanging out with his new teammates, spends a lot of the off season on Long Island in a hotel away from home to try to learn some technical stuff from Mitch Korn and Piero Greco, the Islanders goalie coaches. Um and then spends a, you know, kind of a truncated season again, not really being able to enjoy life in in the new york area so um i think given all, given all that was thrown at him uh he played pretty capably and uh this deal i think is more it may be a little bit more money and a little bit more term than you'd think a guy who's a clear 1b goalie would would get but i think they liked what they saw and they can see whether it's this season or 22 23 if he grabs the reins as the number one guy, then you've got a number one goalie for a couple of years at just $4 million per, which suddenly turns into a great deal. So it's a lot of money right now, I think. But, uh, but combined, these two may form the best goalie tandem, at least in the Metro and maybe in the entire Eastern Conference. And uh, the way that the Islanders have, have advanced through the playoffs the last two years proves that uh, there's a reason that they've done it. 
And there was a bit of an implication in your column today that if Sorokin were able to take the reins, you know, sooner rather than later, that could free up uh, Semyon Varlamov as a trade piece for Lou. Do you do you think that that's likely? You know, I, I think a lot of it depends on where the Islanders are cap wise coming off of this coming season. And, you know, we're still staring at a flat cap beyond this year for sure. Um and the Islanders are still, you know, like I said, they're they're already at eighty five point two for this year. They've added a lot of long term deals at decent money just today. So, um, I think they're still looking at a at a cap crunch uh, for the you know next season and maybe even a season beyond that. And any way to alleviate it, you know, I don't think they would have chosen to to let Jordan Everly go and let Nick Letty go in a perfect world. They really like their their core group. But uh, but the cap situation is such that uh, you have to make some alterations each offseason. And um, if you can have your number one goalie, like I said, be a guy who's who's locked up for a couple of years at four million per. And then you can get um, a bit more of a one B guy for a little bit less. Uh, I think you do have to explore moving Varlamov, you, you know, short of a Stanley Cup, leading them to Stanley Cup this coming year. Um those are kind of the the kind of considerations the cat makes you make, and uh, a guy with one year left at five million per, who's not your number one A guy anymore, is probably a guy you have to look to to swap out just because you need that extra cap space. So um, you know Varlamov has been exceptional in his two years in an Islander uniform. He's you know the, arguably the most successful Islanders goalie in such a short space of time. Going back to Billy Smith, uh, it's been a long time since they've had a goalie tandem this good. And uh, I, I'm sure fantasy uh, goalie owners would love either one of them to play a little bit more. But I hate to disappoint you. I think it's going to be pretty much a, you know, a 50-30, 47-35 type split. Uh, you know, Going back to an 82-game schedule, the Islanders have a ton of back-to-backs. They start the year on a 13-game road trip. There's going to be a lot of times when you see both goalies on a, on a given weekend or in a short space of time. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a good problem for them to have, to have two goalies that you can rely on. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think this year in particular, it's, it's, it's pivotal that they have that sort of space to give Sorokin a little more time to adjust. You know, that Samsonov contract was something where they are in Washington, they needed to give him a little bit more time to adjust before they could commit. But obviously, Lou decided to go a different way. And uh, the hope is that 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 this gives him a nice little uh, landing pad into uh, his career as the uh, long-term starter on Long Island. I want to jump to the forwards next. And when fantasy players think of the Islanders, I think that their first thought the past few years has is always Matt Barzal, uh, who comes into the league as a 21-year-old rookie in 2017-18 and then lights the league on fire, 86-point Calder-winning rookie season, then that offseason, John Tavares leaves for Toronto, and from a boxcar stat perspective, nothing's really been the same for Barzal since. Uh, watching him play, it's not hard to see that in another system, he'd be somebody who could put up 80, 90, maybe even more points in a season. Do you think uh, Trotz ever unleashes that Cadillac that he's got in the driveway and lets Barzal hit that next level? You know, I, I feel like, and maybe I'm taking Trotz aside a little too much here, not that it's an antagonistic situation. I'm sure Matthew Barzell looks around at some of his fellow 2015 draftees and says, well, you know, I'd love to have Connor McDavid's gaudy stats or Jack Eichel's gaudy stats or Mitch Marner's gaudy stats. But, oh, I'm the one that's been to the conference finals two years in a row. And those guys right. have one playoff series win between them. Um so I think he'd certainly take that in a in a in a sport where team success is is valued above all else. But I think you know in a in a discussion about his production, and I'm sure it's it, I'm sure I've had it with Barry Trotz uh, over the last couple of years. I think he views Barzell as you do what I want you to do uh, at even strength, and in, on the power play, we need you to we you know use your creativity, get get things going. And that's really where I think he's been stifled, you know, production wise is on the power play. Their power play has been ranged from so-so to mediocre to a lot more negative words than that over three years. And uh, it's surprising because they do 
have some talented guys. You know, they have Barzal. They had Jordan Everly, who was a real consistent power play guy in Edmonton and and his first year on the island. Um, they have Anders Lee, who's, you know, kind of the prototypical net front guy. Brock Nelson, Josh Bailey, Ryan Pollock with a big shot. Oliver Wallstrom kind of factored in a little bit this past season as a rookie. And yet they can just never really seem to get it to a consistent 18, 19% level. And I think if they were there, you know, that's 10 or 15 or 20 more points over an 82 game season for a guy like Barzal. And suddenly you're talking about him having, you know, much closer to point of game production. Um, you know, it looked at times in the shortened season, like he would get there and he had some incredible, you know, maybe some of the best highlight reel goals of anybody this season, especially the one that he scored between the legs against the Sabres. Uh, you know, that was, it was, it was pretty high on the ridiculousness scale. And I think, um, you know, if you could get fantasy points for that, <laughs> that sort of gymnastic style judging and, and, uh, and extra degree of difficulty, that'd be something. But, um, I think where he needs to, uh, you know, he needs to be better, I think, and his group needs to be better and his production would be better is if the power Islanders power play were better and they, you know, they have some tools in place, I think this year, and you would think they'd have to approach it a little bit differently. Now, Letty's gone. He was kind of the, the, the regular power play quarterback. Everly's gone, who, you know, has been a, a line mate of Barzell's for a long time and, and been on the power play with him. So I think some things will change for him. Um, you know, I think the one thing that they don't want to change is the way that he's improved uh, away from the puck and been more of a more of a consistent five on five player. The way that the Islanders want to play, which is not the way his fantasy owners want him to play, but um, those two things don't always go hand in hand, especially with this team. So um, if they can get their power play in order. Uh, I think that's where he can get his production back up to a level that's uh, that's a little bit more eye-opening. Yeah, I think that I had that exact conversation about Barzell's highlight reel goals earlier this year, just talking about how actually kind of approaching it from the other side, where you sort of get the feeling that he's so talented um, with the puck on his stick and he scores these highlight reel goals, but you don't get extra points for those. I feel like sometimes you could <laughs> sort of capitalize on that value and say, oh, I've got, you know, obvious superstar Matt Barzal on my team. And, uh, you know, we're not talking about real hockey. If you trade him, you're just trading the stats. You're not, you don't have to worry about any of that other stuff. So sometimes I feel like that might be a bit of a, a blessing and a curse in fantasy hockey. But um, Barzal did have, you know, his best stretch at the start of the year this year before Anders Lee goes out with that torn ACL. Um, have you heard much about Lee's recovery? And I mean, that's been a scary injury to come back from in the past. Yeah, he was, uh, I think he was feeling pretty good even through the playoffs, which was about a two or three months, two or three months out from, from his ACL surgery, he was already back on the ice. So I think he, he's quite likely on, on target to be a participant in training camp in a few weeks and be ready for the regular season, which as you pointed out is, is probably pretty important for Barzal because the, they lost his other winger uh, in the Seattle expansion draft in Eberly. And Lee and Barzal really have been uh, a very good combination over the last couple of years. It's, uh, it, it doesn't always seem like that's a pairing that would mix well because Lee is such a, a straight line player and Barzal is doing you know a lot of curly cues and figure eights around the zone. But I think that Lee's simplicity really works in 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 tandem nicely with Barzell and and Barzell at heart is a is a distributor he's a playmaker he, you know he he can score great goals and I think he's been encouraged to be a little bit more aggressive uh with his own offense but um but I think having the reliability of a guy like Lee is really big for him and whether you know the guy you know the replacement for Everly is is Kyle Palmieri um who when they brought him in was kind of you know with at the trade deadline, everyone kind of thought, well, they'll, they'll plop them right in and Lee's spot because they're pretty similar players. It didn't really work out that way. Um, whether it's Palmieri, whether it's Oliver Wallstrom, who would kind of make him a, a fantasy player to watch if, if Wallstrom ends up grabbing that top line right wing spot or, or whoever else it is. I think, you know, Barzal uh, has a kind of a limited group of wingers on this team that he meshes well with. Everly was definitely one of them and they were, uh, they were a pair for a long, long time. So uh, it'll be interesting to see who they put on the other side. But but on that left side, having Lee back at full strength will definitely help Barzal and help the team. 
And so I don't, and I don't want to uh, spoil your article too much, but uh, you do talk about <laughs> Paul Mary maybe not being the best fit on that top line uh, with with Anders Lee and and uh, Barzal. Is that a is that a fit issue that you see there? I think it really it's kind of a dupli- duplication of of effort. You know, Paul Mary is uh, is a lot like Anders Lee. He's not as big, and he's not quite as bull like, uh, and and they both have really you know. I think surprisingly good skills. They're, they're both decent skaters, even though it doesn't look like it. Um, but I think with Paul Mary, he's a guy likely likes to go to the front of that, likes to park himself there, score some greasy goals. And I don't think that Barzell works well with two guys like that on his wings, especially, um, you know, if, if you've got guys that like to play below the hash marks and you've got Barzell, who's a bit unpredictable, that can lead to a lot of odd man rushes the other way, which is a big no, no in everybody's system, but especially in a trot system. So, you know, I think um, I think Wallstrom showed that he has the skating ability. This pat he showed this past season. His skating ability is a little underrated, and his positional responsibility was was really good. I think you know Trotz was pleasantly surprised at how Wallstrom, at age twenty, was was able to carry himself. He didn't look like a deer in the headlights in the defensive zone, um, and he certainly got that lethal shot. So you know, I, I think pairing that with Barzal at least at the beginning would be an interesting attempt to see what Wallstrom can do with a, with a distributor like Barzal. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a big consideration for the Islanders and obviously a big consideration for, you know, a fantasy hockey draft, about who's going to get that coveted spot. But I'm not so sure that Paul Mary is the perfect fit just because he does, he is kind of a right-handed version of Lee. And I'm not so sure that Trotz feels like having two guys like that is going to make that line perfect. That checks out. I mean, that makes a lot of sense uh, strategically. Uh, and Paul Mary, I think, when he came, when he was brought in, and when I look back on what is now uh, a Lou's second straight GM of the Year award winning season, I I kind of struggled to see what he did this year that that set him apart in the same way as as two years ago. But I I did always kind of defend that that trade deadline of his that he goes out and he fills those two holes. Um, for a first, fourth, and a few prospects, and gets Palmieri and Zajac in the same trade. Uh, but when I when you then look at Palmieri's statistics after coming uh, going to Long Island, it's the first time in five years that he doesn't manage to hit a fifty plus point pace this year. Then the Isles show faith; they bring him back on this four year deal that'll pay him five million dollars a year until he's thirty four. So there's obviously. Uh, a fair amount of faith there being shown in Paul Mary. What do you think went wrong for him last year? And do you think there's a way to get more out of him for Barry Trotz? Yeah, I think, I think when they're evaluating him, they're evaluating him more on what he did in the playoffs. And really it was the first two rounds where he was, you know, seven goals, I believe in the first 12 games of the postseason. Um, he was, uh, he was everything that they, that they wanted when they made that trade. And, you know, I think the adjustment period of, of such a weird season was a little bit tough for him, even though he's a he's a local kid from Long Island. Um, not a lot had to change for him when he came out to the, from from Jersey to the Islanders. But I think the systems are very different, and I think that part of it, and kind of ha- you know feeling like they brought me in to replace their captain, uh, I need to do it. it. It definitely didn't go as smoothly as he would have liked. But I think in the postseason, you saw. You know, a lot of goals from within five feet of the net, um, a couple of power play goals again from that's from from, you know, kind of that doorstep spot. Um, so, you know, I think uh, I think for him, they're they're looking for the right fit. It's obviously a big contract. And, um, you know, maybe the 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 idea is, well, we're paying him the most more than any of our other right wings. We got to make him our top line right wing. But I think. You know, if he ends up starting the season on on where he played a lot of this time last season, which is on the right side with Jean Gabriel Pajot on what you normally call the third line, um, and maybe you've got Zach Parise on the other side there, um, you know that wouldn't surprise me. And I and I think much like Barzal, where well, Primary is going to kind of establish himself as is on the other power play unit that Anders Lee isn't on, because they both are really that that net fund presence on the power play. And if the Islanders can become a team that, you know, is is the team that they've been for the last couple of years, which is a, a, a one nothing two no, two one three two type team at five on five, but they can kind of separate themselves with that with a, a more efficient power play. I think Palmieri's would be a big part of that. And uh, 
you know, I don't know that he's going to necessarily be uh, the productive guy that he was the previous couple of years in Jersey, where he was more of a go-to guy and playing in a lot of different situations. This is, this is not a, a this is not a, a forward group where you get, you know, you're going to get 19 or 20 minutes just because. Um, so I don't know that he's a, he's a, a great bet fantasy wise. Um, if their power play starts out great, then yeah, maybe. But, uh, but if he's, if he's a 20, you know, between 20 to 25 goals and say seven or eight of those on the power play, I think that's going to be considered a, a perfectly fine return on what they signed them for. That's uh, and so I guess what we'd be looking at there, if, if that third line sort of shakes out as, as Palmieri, Parisi and, uh, and Pajot, the, the triple P line, um, <laughs> we'll, and we'll see, Barzal and Lee playing with either Wallstrom or Josh Bailey, I guess, up top. And then we'd see a Brock Nelson, Beauvillier, uh, Wallstrom or or Bailey, I guess, whichever one of them, however they shake out on the right side. Is that sort of how you see the top three lines shaking out? Yeah, yeah, I think so. You know, I think Bailey has had some good moments uh, with Barzal in the past. I don't I don't know that Bailey is a guy that you plug in. He, he's sort of the the you know the the utility man of this of that top nine where he get gets whatever's left over um, or fills in a spot where someone's hurt. But uh, but yeah, I think I think if you're looking at it as as uh, more as uh, winger center pairs, I think that those are the foundations that that Trotz likes to look at outside of his fourth line with Sezikis and Martin Clutterbuck, which is uh, going to just exist until one of them decides to retire, I guess. But, um, you know, I think the, the pairs for him now are Lee, Barzell, Beauvillier, Nelson, and then Pajot and whoever, you know, um, if it's if it's Palmieri, great. If it's Parise, great. If it's someone else uh, that we haven't really thought of yet, that's not necessarily going to be, you know, think, thinking they're a top nine regular. Um, and then you kind of fit the other pieces in as needed. You know, Wallstrom is really the only forward that they have under contract right now who doesn't need waivers. And so uh, that to me is a, is, is one factor uh, if they're going through training camp and there's no obvious situations to, to shed some, some, some cap space to really be compliant or, or figure out how to get the roster to the, to the final 23. Um, that may be a situation where no matter what he does in camp, he's got to start in, in, Bridgeport in the AHL and they'll bring him back up when they can. Um, you know, it's happened before with the, with this group, you know, Devon Taves, who now is a Norris, you know, was a Norris trophy candidate in Colorado last year, another guy that they had to move because of cap issues. Um, you know, the first year that Trotz was here, uh, he was, should have been a top six guy uh, on the defense at a training camp. He and, and Scott Mayfield were a terrific pair, but, uh, he had options and no one else did. So he went down for half that season and uh, dominated at the AHL level and came back up. And now, like I said, he's, you know, he's a mainstay on a, on a Stanley cup contender uh, playing alongside Kale McCarr. So, um, you know, the, the, that simplest option when it comes to roster maneuvering towards the start of the season, it's not always fair, or equitable, but, uh, but we'll have to see, um, you know, for my money, Wallstrom is a guy you need to have in the lineup. Um, you know, he, when he did finally get in in this past season, he was really dynamic. Uh, he made a difference on the power play. He's kind of the only guy they have on this roster who has, you know, has no conscience when it comes to shooting the puck, wants to generate offense, wants to get towards the front of the net. Um, and that, to me, on a team that doesn't generate a ton is is a valuable guy. So we'll see where that, where that all shakes out. But I think you're on target with that top nine. God, what a brutal range of outcomes uh, in terms of, you know, projecting fantasy here for Wallstrom, where you could see him being top line, top power play at a training camp, or you could see him getting sent down, not because he's not good enough, but just because the team has some flexibility issues. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I don't know that <laughs> Lou Lamorello has ever cared uh, about <laughs> yeah. fan, fan opinion or, or certainly fantasy owner opinion, but, um, you know, I, I think, I think on a serious note, you know, uh, Wallstrom had, had a pretty decent knee injury in, in game five against the Penguins and, uh, was rightly out pretty much the entire Boston series, but he was healthy by the time they played the semifinals against Tampa and, uh, and Trotz decided to go with Travis Zajac, you know, trying again, opting for 
the known quantity versus the unknown quantity. And I think losing a game seven, one, nothing, you yet you can definitely second guess yourself and say, would Oliver Wallstrom have generated something that Travis Ajay couldn't. Um, so, you know, I, I wonder about that feeling carrying over from last season where you, you want to be cautious. And obviously the roster co- composition is, is a difficult thing when you have so many guys sign and the cap situation and all that. But, uh, but I don't know that, you want to get caught in a situation where you've, you've again opted for a low offense, low production veteran over a young kid who has already shown that he can reliably produce for you and generate some offense and, and cause some chaos. So uh, I'd be interested to see how that how that affects their their decision making going into the tra- in, in training camp and going into the season. Yeah, and I mean, the the one thing with Wallstrom that really sticks out is when you look at his statistics, 21 points in 44 games while playing just 12 minutes a game, almost as a power play specialist at points. Do you think that if he does make the team that they continue to try to ease him in or or could you see him taking, you know, a big step forward in I do you, do you like I guess it's more of a question of just is Barry Trotz willing to give a guy a ton more minutes uh, in his second season? You know, I I think a lot that part a lot will be determined by how he handles training camp. And if he does get a crack at that spot next to Lee and Barzell, um, how he, how he runs with it, you know, if he's eager to just sort of sacrifice defense for offense, it's not going to work because that's not the way this team is built. And uh, you know, he has to have that, that trust and reliability that coaches always talk about. But if he can, if he shows that he can, still continue to play, uh, you know, improve without the puck and, and keep his feet moving and, and also, you know, try to mesh with a guy in Barzell who some, some wingers just can't figure him out. You can't, it's hard. He's a hard guy to anticipate what he does. Uh, but I think if there's some chemistry there, you know, I don't, I, I think Barry Trotz, you know, has a reputation for kind of opting for the veteran over the, over the younger player. But I think if the younger player shows that he can handle what he, what he needs to handle, uh, he's not going to take Oliver Wallstrom off that line at, at key times. I think he's going to let the three of them go. So, um, you know, that's that's one for me to watch in training camp uh, and see how it progresses because it it goes quickly. You know, they only they come to camp, they do their physicals. It's two days on the ice, and then suddenly you're playing preseason games. So um, they have to be able to sort that out pretty quickly. And uh, and this year um, with that long road trip that they start they start on, I think they're going to want to have. Uh, a real foundation and and not really be guessing at their lineup at the beginning of the season because those games are going to be super important. And so we talked through the top nine and we also talked or you talked about how Barzal is a player who needs the power play to click if he wants to elevate that game or or that's probably the easiest way to see him trend upwards in terms of his uh, his point totals. Uh Besides Barzell, who do you see lining up with him on that top power play? You know, they, they, the Isles seem to have been reticent under Barry Trotz to really load up a top unit. But do you think that that could happen this year? You know, I'm not sure. I, I, I think a lot of it is really predicated on who's going well. And that, you know, they, you know, he doesn't like to, Trotz doesn't like to refer to it as power play one or power play two. We do it because the one with Barzal on it naturally seems like power play one to all of yeah, us of uh, who watch them play. So um, you'd think that would be the case. You know, I, I'm curious to see how how the configurations go without Letty, you know, and, and obviously without knowing who the who Letty's replacement is, that's, that's kind of a big question mark. I think they can get by if Noah Dobson uh, kind of proves that he can handle that power play time that Letty used to have. If he's the, you know, the, the one quarterback defenseman on a group with, you know, Barzal Lee. um, I kind of wonder if, you know, Beauvillier, Anthony Beauvillier fits in on that, that group as kind of the off wing shooter uh, opposite Barzal. um, And maybe Jean Gabriel Pajot is, is in that bumper spot. Uh, with that group. So, you know, they, they really had a, a kind of a rotation of about 10 or 11 guys the last two years and mixed and matched them kind of endlessly just trying to find some chemistry. But, uh, but I think without Everly, who's, who's kind of been Barzal's running mate for a long time at, at on the power play and at even strength. Uh, I'm, I am interested to see <clears throat> who they decide gets that spot. You know, Pajot, Pajot was a, was a very good power play player, obviously in his, 
in his trade year when he came over, you know, he, he was a he's a big offensive producer for Ottawa. Hasn't quite hit that with the Islanders just because he does so much other stuff, um, you know, checking center, PK center. Um, I don't think they want him to get too burdened down. And uh, and another guy who's kind of an interesting X factor for me has been Ryan Pollock, who uh, has had great production his first couple of regular seasons in the NHL uh, and dipped quite a bit last year. You know, I think he was he shot maybe 2% last year, which is a little bit lower than he usually shoots. So that's one factor. And he does have that big shot. But uh, but it takes a long time for him to load that shot, and I don't know that that works so well with a with Barzell's unit. I don't even know if if Pollock is really that effective a power play player right now. You know, that's thing, something that I think he's needed to work on, kind of loading that shot a little faster. You're never going to get Ovechkin fast, but uh, but to have it be really effective in today's NHL, you can't just you know pull the ally of Frady and just kind of watch everybody watch you slowly wind up and blast at a hundred miles an hour. Goalie's going to stop that as long as they can see it. So, um, you know, Pollock's production, I think uh, dipping last year was kind of an anomaly. I think he's a, he's a good five on five producer, but whether he gets into a rotation on the power play, I think a lot depends on him. So, um, you know, for my money, I think Dobson is really kind of the, the, the X factor for them. Uh, if he takes a step forward as a quarterback and he can kind of be that guy who works with Barzal's unit, he'll be a big producer this year. Um, and a guy who I think gets a lot more responsibility in his third NHL season. And so I, I do want to talk defense. I'm just going to ask one more question about the forward group here. Um, in terms of fantasy, you know, you always, uh, I mentioned how Barzal is the guy at the top of the pyramid here in, in New York. And then I think Anders Lee is like the clear number two, but then it kind of feels like they're all sort of the same sort in fantasy relevance. I mean, obviously, you you wouldn't watch Beauvillier and Pajot play and think that they're similar players. But, you know, production-wise, Anthony Beauvillier, Nelson, Bailey, Pajot, they've all kind of had their moments of fantasy relevance over the past few years. I'm wondering if you see any of those players having the potential to take a step above what we've seen from them and, you know, maybe become more of a 60-point player next year. I think for me, given the steps forward that he took uh, when Trotz, when Barry Trotz came in, I think Brock Nelson's probably the the, the most obvious choice for me. He's he's a guy who, um, you know, if things shake out a certain way, he might get a little bit more uh, penalty kill time. And I think he's the kind of guy that thrives with more ice time, not not necessarily with less and more specialized ice time. You know, he's he's got a very deceptive shot that he uses very well. Um, you know, he, he's, he's kind of got that, uh, the, the Brocktober hashtag hashtag where he starts off really hot, uh, a lot of years and then cools off. And I think he's become a lot more consistent the last few years under trots. And I think that comes with consistent usage and, uh, you know, he does get power play time, but he's, he's a real five on five producer. Um, and you know, I, you know, he, when the, when the pandemic hit, uh, he was on a, I think his, his best goal scoring pace in 1920 and, and also has been a very good power, uh, good playoff producer as well. So, um, I think he's a guy who, uh, you know, he works very well with Anthony Pavillier. They're, they're a good attacking forward combination, especially when you see them out in overtime. Um, so, you know, I, I keep feeling like he's a guy who, you know, you look at his numbers in the middle of a season when he's on a hot streak and he's definitely, he's always hovering around that 20, 25 goal mark. Um, and if I think, he, you know, if, if again, if he's part of a productive power play and gives him goes from maybe five or six power play points to eight or 10, that's maybe the enough of a nudge to get him into that 60 point range. So um, he, for my money, Brock Nelson is really, you know, one of the linchpin guys of this forward group and, uh, and a guy who, uh, you know, Lou Lamarillo rightly identified as, you know, when after the after the first season that Lamarillo and Trotz were here, the first guy that they signed, because they had a few homegrown pending UFAs, the first guy that they signed was Brock Nelson to a long-term deal. And I think there's a reason why, because he's been he's been maybe their most consistent forward outside of Barzell since Trotz got here. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. That 2020 season, he had 26 goals tied for his career, uh career best in just 68 games. Uh, has been remarkably durable playing in 81 or 82 games for the five, six seasons before that. So, I mean, he's been very durable. And then he 
puts up his best season ever. And I think that the the hopes were really high for him heading into 2020-21. Um, do you think that this is just a thing of, you know, there was no October for him to Brocktober yeah. up? Or <laughs> is there anything that sort of explains why he, he took a step back production-wise last year? You know, the the pandemic affected people, players in so many different ways that we may never know about. And, uh, you know, he's a guy with a couple of young kids and now with three young kids. And I think speaking as someone with uh, three kids as well, trying to keep your sanity through a pandemic and, and trying to do work and all that stuff. I think, uh, I, I think it was just harder for him to get going. And it was, he did get off to kind of a surprisingly slow start. Um, you know, January maybe isn't his month, but, uh, but he definitely picked it up. And, you know, I, I think his totals were, were pretty modest last season, but I think what you saw in the playoffs, um, you know, he's, he, I think he's kind of grown into a little bit of that Justin Williams mode in Islanders. You know, he's, he, I think he's got maybe eight or 10 goals in, a, in potential elimination games over the last couple of postseasons. He's just a guy who seems to rise to the occasion. And I'm, I'm definitely curious to see what a guy like that does when he's not, you know, facing Evgeny Malkin or Sidney Crosby every fourth day or, um, you know, the Caps top two lines uh, or the Bruins top two lines. I think, you know, it's always hard to to kind of take a season like last season and and make a lot of judgments about it because the, not just the the rhythm of it was so different, but, but seeing the same opponents day after day after day, or sometimes three games in a row. And, um, you know, being forced to do different things that maybe when you're in a normal schedule, you only do that once every couple of months when you see that team. Um, so I think, you know, going back to playing the whole league uh, is probably to his benefit because as the second line center, as the guy who's maybe relied upon to be a little bit more, uh, you know, stay at stay at home at times or forechecking at times or matchup guy at times that Barzal doesn't really get, uh, it took a little bit of a toll on him as well. Yeah, that's a I, that's a great point. I've I've long thought about that how the the Metro was kind of a an unfair division to measure yourself up against. A guy like Sean Couturier went years being very underrated because he's playing every night against Crosby or Bergeron or whoever. And then to to your point here, Brock Nelson last year every night is going against Crosby or Malkin. He's going against Kuznetsov or Backstrom. He's going against Bergeron or Krejci. You got Sabanajad and Strom in the other New York. You've got Couturier. It's a uh, you know Eichel. It's it's a tough uh, a tough division to uh, to not be the the main guy putting up points. So that's a really interesting way of thinking about how the divisional alignment from last year will will sort of reverse when we go into this somewhat normal season twenty twenty two. Um, let's jump back to defense. We sort of talked about Ryan Pollock and Noah Dobson a little bit. Pulak is a guy that uh, fantasy owners in bangers leagues who have categories like hits and blocks, they've known about and loved Pulak for a while now. Um, I think that if he were to be a full-time power play one defenseman, that would be something that uh, fantasy owners might enjoy more than Isles fans. Um, And it's always seemed to me like Noah Dobson uh, is the obvious player to sort of step into that role now that Nick Letty's gone, especially. Do you think, you sort of alluded to this earlier, but do you think he has a shot to get that deployment to be fantasy relevant this year? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think uh, Dobson towards the end of last season was, was working his own unit with four forwards and, and it was kind of a Letty Pollock combination on the other unit. Um, you know, and I think that's a testament to to Dobson's uh, growth as a as a puck handler and kind of a very cool customer. He's not ever going to be mistaken for a big, you know, a heavy shooter at at the point. Um, but he's a very good distributor, and he's kind of, and he's very decisive. So I think that's going to help him. You know, is is it's interesting to to think about him as as the way that the Islanders have kind of sheltered him along, you know, when he was up for all of the, you know, 2019, 20, essentially as a, as a, you know, he's a forerunner of the taxi squad, essentially a guy who was intended to play maybe once every five or six games just to spell someone. Uh, and then Adam Pellet goes out with a torn Achilles in, in January of that season. And suddenly he's thrust into the, into the regular role. But even at that, it was essentially a five defenseman rotation and they would throw him out for a shift eventually. Um, 
uh, a very, you know, very sheltered growth, uh, you know, chart for him, I guess. And then last season, you know, a little bit more regular, his season was disrupted. You know, uh, he was out for about 10 games uh, with COVID in the middle of the season and came back and it took him a little while to get his rhythm going. And I think like a lot of young players in their first real playoff run, he, you know, he, he definitely was a little, looked a little overmatched at times in the postseason. But I think one of the hallmarks of his play is that uh, he doesn't seem to get phased by too much mistakes or, or positivity. So, um, and I think he got enough power play experience last year to know that 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 that's going to be a role for him, especially now with Letty gone. You know, it certainly depends on who they bring in. Like I said, but I don't think anybody's going to supplant him as as a guy who runs one of the power play units. Um, so I think the potential is there for him to be, you know, to be a 30, 35, 40 point guy. Um, you know, I don't think he's ever going to kind of be a, a, you know, an aggressive guy to jump up in the play and, and really lead a rush uh, at five on five. But uh, but you know that he's going to be playing with a with a very safe stay at home partner. It seems like it's going to be Andy Green once again. And that, I think, also helps him kind of improve the offensive side. Uh, so, yeah, I think of all the all the defensemen, you know, he, he's definitely one that you'd have to circle as someone who is going to get an opportunity to produce some points. And uh, uh, and probably even if things don't go that well at the beginning, they don't have a ton of other options with Letty gone. So he's probably going to be your consistent power play defenseman for all the, for the entire season. And so despite the fact that we have talked a lot about uh, how these players and and this team might be much more successful in real life than their their players are as fantasy options. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one the one sore spot maybe on the Long Island is uh, on the prospect side of things. Uh, this week, Corey Pronman, prospect guru at the Athletic, ranked the Isles twenty seventh in his annual ranking of the teams with the best under twenty three cores. Their number one ranked player was Dobson. After him came. Uh, A2 Raddy, I'm I'm guessing at this name. I hope that you're not going <laughs> to uh, tell me it, I'm wildly off here. Uh, I believe it's actually Atu Ratu. It's uh, the R A T Y. Is uh, it's very alliterative. The R, the the Y at the end. I think of some Finnish names has a has a U sound. So could be wrong about that, but that's a, that's what I was told. I'm probably going to pronounce it Atu Ratu no matter what now because it's <laughs> it's it's drilled into my head. Arthur Staple told me, um, but. What do you know about Ratu, and do you think that we're likely to see him in Long Island anytime soon? You know, I, I, he's such an interesting prospect, and it's not an area that I pay a ton of attention to because we have people like Corey uh, Bronman, who you mentioned, who, who devote so much time and effort to it. Um, it. It's very nice to be able to kind of not add another area to, to pay attention <laughs> to when you're trying to watch 82 NHL games. Um but I certainly read enough about him uh, in the in the run up to the draft to know a, a little bit about him that he was, you know, uh, there was a time the previous year where he was considered to be a top five pick and a lock at that, and then had a very difficult, uh, you know, first year in in the in the Finnish Liga, uh, you know, kind of playing with with adults for the first time, uh, which certainly has been known to happen. Um, and and fell, I think, even a little bit further than than some projected. Even at, even though he was kind of not had not really, you know, c- cemented himself as a first round pick anymore. Uh, and then in the immediate aftermath at the at the World Junior Showcase, where he just completely put on a show, and uh, and I think got a lot of people thinking, "Geez, this this could end up being quite a steal for the Islanders," because, uh, you know, even though he he had kind of fallen off and looked a little bit disinterested. Uh, in his draft year, he still had that that you know incredible run as a 16 and 17 year old to get him into the conversation in the first place. So, uh, you know, I'm interested. To, the Islanders did sign him already, so I'm interested to see if he has another. You know, if he can continue on what he did at the World Junior Showcase and you know go to the World Juniors in the wintertime and, and excel and have a decent season in Finland. Um, he's got one, this one year left on his deal. Uh, with Carpat in the Finnish league. I think you could see him over here in the springtime. Um, you know, the Islanders in the last couple of years have really made it a, a you know, kind of a, a point of emphasis to bring some of their draftees over as soon as possible. Uh, Simon Holmstrom, who was a very uh, raw 
first round pick that they made a couple of years ago came over as an 18 year old. He was the youngest player in North America at the pro level uh, and has played two seasons now in the AHL. I mean, obviously last season was not a full season, but um, I think they like the idea of control, you know, having more uh, eyes and control over their, their prospects development. And um, you know, so I think that kind of lends you to think that, that Ratu could be here uh, after his season's over in the spring be ready to, to try to, you know, be ready for, for training camp in 2022. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's kind of an interesting push pull just because we've certainly talked about how they handled Oliver Wallstrom, how they handled Noah Dobson. They don't exactly give the keys to the Ferrari to any young player, uh, with, with Lou Lamarill and Barry Trotz in charge. Um, so you have to temper your expectations that way, but, uh, but this is, you know, he is certainly an intriguing prospect and I'm, and I'm, eager to see, you know, now that he's through the draft process, he knows which team has his rights, how that maybe frees him a little bit mentally to play uh, a full season in, in the, you know, in the, the seat, you know, the top league in Finland and the world juniors, which is always a, you know, kind of a, a, a closely watched showcase for all the young players who've been recently drafted. Um, so uh, yeah, you know, and, and, and I think, the other part is that they just don't have a lot of good forward prospects. Um, you know, it's really been a, a very bare cupboard for a lot of years. Um, they really haven't developed anybody. Michael Del Call, who was a, a number five pick a few, you know, about seven years ago now, um, was really the last high end player who came through the AHL and, and graduated up to the NHL, but he's not really a, you know, considered a high end NHL player. Josh Hosang has come through and, and, gone now to to the leaf system um Kiefer bellows was a first round pick who who had a, a couple pretty good ahl seasons but hasn't been able to stick at the nhl level so for them to be able to have a homegrown forward prospect who who's generating a lot of buzz and comes over and and can can kind of rise up through the ranks hasn't happened in a while and if it can happen with ratu that would be a big plus for them excellent well Arthur, you've answered every single question <laughs> I had for you. We've uh, we've talked about the Isles front and back from a fantasy perspective. Um, I guess the uh, last thing to ask you is uh, where can people follow your work? What do you got going on these days? Well, uh, always on Twitter, probably too much at Stape Athletic and obviously over at theathletic.com on the Islanders page. We usually have a good subscription deal for, for new subscribers. And uh, this past offseason, I put together uh, my first book called 100 Things to Know About 100 things islanders fans should know and do before they die it's a little it's a little intense title but uh, a lot of good stories not just about the glory days from the 1980s but uh some fun little stories from the dark days of the 90s and 2000s and obviously some uh, some of the recent uh, success that they've had so uh that'll be available in november right around the time ubs arena opens for uh for business for the islanders and uh hopefully everyone can check that book out and check out whatever else we've got going on, because there's always something happening with the Islanders. Excellent. Well, Arthur, thank you so much for taking the time, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your your uh, your summer here as we enter September and the hockey, you know, basically on the precipice of hockey season. I, I hope you're as excited as we are over here. Should be good, Ben. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. All right, great job, Ben, and thanks once again to Arthur Staple for coming on our show to talk about the New York Islanders. Definitely follow Arthur on Twitter, at Stape Athletic. Read his articles on The Athletic to keep up to date on the Islanders. Obviously a really interesting team, and Arthur is the best of the best when it comes to covering them. Okay, thank you, the listeners, so much for listening to our show. We're ramping up big time for the preseason as it's going to be starting soon, and the Keeping Carlson preseason has already started. We had a really fun show this past weekend where we mock-drafted with Ben and Dave Benton, where we each took one player from each team, so a really fun format and a way to break down who we think the top options are in each team in a points-only format. We've got more great content coming your way. This weekend, we're going to be talking to Victor Nuno about prospects and Calder candidates. We've got Schmore Goalies Board coming up, where we're going to be tearing all the goalies so just so much content coming your way and we want you to hear it so make sure you're subscribed to keeping carlson on your uh, apple podcast 
Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, make sure you're subscribed. You'll get all the shows as they come out. One last thing I'll mention is like at the start of the season, this is the time when we like to ask people to consider supporting the show. You can uh, support us on Patreon. We have a program there for $5 a month. US, uh, we give you a whole bunch of perks to try to make it worth your while, including access to our awesome Discord community monthly patron cast we're going to be doing one in a couple of weeks where we answer questions from the patrons and of course you get access to the keeping carlson ultimate patron fantasy league we want to get you in our league and we promise you're going to have a really good time we're working really hard on it so you can find all the information about all of that at keepingcarlson.com slash patron and for more information specifically about the cupful the keeping carlson ultimate patron fantasy league just check out cupful.com that's all linked in the show notes so with that let's cue the outro music and i will take you out of here because the keeping carlson fantasy hockey podcast is presented by dauber hockey supported by our patrons logo art by brandon weeb outro music by pat roach and of course once again this episode was presented by ben burnett from short shifts and featured arthur staple talking about the new york islanders and arthur staple can be followed on twitter at state athletic that's it for me we'll be back at you with another episode on the weekend about calder candidates with victor nuno and until then try to do your best to make it that fantasy hockey is for everyone